The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Hello and welcome to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. We're really excited this evening because we have a special guest. Naomi Scott is joining us. Um, So thanks very much, Naomi. Thank you for having me. No problems. Um, So just to recap, I'm Catherine. Lily. Emma. And also beside me is my number one fan. Mummy. (laughs) (laughs) Esther Grenfell. Thank you. And we've also got the lovely Marcos Sand Engineering for us tonight as well. So thank you very much, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about obscene women in Aristophanes specifically but also um, women in ancient Greek literature so just before we do that do, do you want to maybe say something about the music that we just played in in our so we generally we don't usually play music like that in the intro so maybe that that bears some explanation oh yeah so this is actually a suggestion by Naomi uh, that's Emma Kirkby and she's actually singing in Greek uh, that's an ancient Greek text that was set to music in the 17th century she's a singer and a classicist so she uh has an album of ancient Greek and Latin texts that she's she's made into a song. So just to go back to our main topic, we were very excited to get chatting to you on a train um, a few months ago <laughs> and you told us all about your fantastic research that you're doing um, as part of your PhD. So for our listeners, do you mind just giving a bit of an intro about kind of what that research is and, you know, who you are and what you do. So I'm currently working on a PhD on the 5th century BC Athenian playwright Aristophanes, who writes comic plays. We have 11 complete plays left to us. He wrote a considerable number more. Uh, I mostly work on genre, but a little side project I have is researching women's use of language in the plays, and particularly women's use of obscene language. Which is exactly the type of thing that we absolutely love on Very Loose Women. So to kind of kick us off on this topic, I believe that you have a collection of kind of uh, swear words and, you know, most obviously filthy kind of things for us. I've got three top swear words. They're very, they'd pick them less for their obscenity, though that, that doesn't really narrow it down. There's so much obscenity in Aristophanes, but more because they're interesting. Uh, so the first one I've got for you is the verb, uh, which is beneto or benetomai, which is Greek for fuck, basically. Is that a glottal stop? Uh, no, it's just a uh, oh, change of syllables, okay. benetomai. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing about this one is, from our point of view, uh, the difference in voice. So men use this verb in Greek literature in the active voice, beneto. Women's usage of this verb is not in the active voice. It's in the middle voice, which is somewhere towards, in Greek, a passive. So it's not quite as clear-cut as men saying, I fuck, and women saying, I am fucked. But it's it's somewhere towards that kind of uh, split. In and does it mean the same thing? Uh, yeah, pretty much. But women don't use it in the active voice. So it's something that's always done to them that they receive rather than that they would kind of go and pursue. Pretty much, yeah. Um, the other one I've got for you is choirion, uh, which is pretty much Greek for the C word, but literally it means piglet, which <laughs> I think is interesting because it suggests that the Hollywood wax is not such a recent invention. Uh, Greek women did depilate because otherwise, why a piglet? So, uh, 
that's that's kind of interesting from a historical perspective. Is that like a kind of recent scholarly thing? So you're saying it a piglet rather than a hog? A yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, a, whole a, hog. it's a diminutive. <laughs> it's a diminutive ending. It's so cute. it's definitely piglet. Well, yeah. yeah. Do you know how they depilated? Um, we do because Aristophanes female characters sometimes mention it. Uh, Either shaving, like men. Uh, there's one play, uh, Ecclesia Zeusai, where the women dress up as men, and one of the women proudly says that she threw away her razor in order to better her disguise. Okay. The other thing they do similar. is to singe the hairs, which I don't know how you would do without it being painful, but we, we have whole uh, monologues given to lamps about how the lamp knows the secrets, both because the lamp is there in gatherings of women as they get together, but also the lamp literally knows the secrets of your body because you use the flame Whoa. to singe the hair off. That's crazy. So I don't feel extreme. like we've come that far from that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably on the same pain level as Nephilator. I don't know. <laughs> I think that idea of it, like you say, using a diminutive kind of cutesy term for a woman's body part or even a woman is again something which is still quite common like you know cutie babe I mean uh, that is a pig as well but um, yeah. obviously Pussy. they didn't know that yeah. or like, like a flower a yeah like you know kind of cute and girlish yeah I mean piglet is perhaps less girlish than, than, <laughs> than flower I think it's more of a, a descriptive in that it's supposed to be sort of pink and hairless <laughs> But yeah, it's it, it's interesting to use to use the diminutive like that. Mm. Can I ask a question about the first swear that we heard? Um, if if it was a man describing having sex with another man, it's a different verb. It, it's usually, different verb. Okay. You, you 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 probably could use it. Um, um, what about if it's one of the like say if, if Medea comes out and says this? Medea would never use this word. Okay, <laughs> this is really a comic word. You don't get this kind of stuff in tragedy. Right. Um, this this is. You in in the same way that in Shakespeare you probably wouldn't have somebody using. And are there any sort of sort of perhaps stereotyped in a slaggier way women who would use that word? Not that I know of. I okay. think still if it's a woman, but then we don't often get the voices of women as written by women. We sometimes, mm. as with the Herodians, get them as written by men. Yeah, but that's obviously much later. That's um, first century AD. Uh, yeah, so actually, no, even even your your loosest of women, <laughs> still, it's it tends to be Bennett or Mai. But both of those facts I f- find incredibly surprising. Like, bo- bo- both of the, the verbal thing and also, like, singeing your hairs. Like, I can't believe that, that hair was such a big deal even back then as well. Yeah. Do you think it's a cleanliness thing? Maybe. <sighs> I, mean, I mean, it's certainly, yeah. uh, they talk about it as a way of preparing yourself to be sexually attractive so it's I mean it's a useful thing isn't it and if I don't know I'm I'm assuming that people got married sometimes at very young ages and you wanted to seem you know like you were almost pre-fertile so you get your best years girls got married at about 15 in Athens Mm. men at about 30 Elsewhere in Greece, they, they they waited until women were a bit older because it's actually safer for childbirth. The the Spartans didn't think it was a very good idea to get teenage girls pregnant because they didn't produce strong babies. They, they waited. But in Athens, where you've got a real control of your women, a uh, real sense of, of sexual policing, then about 15, yeah. So um, you're this kind of offshoot of your research into um, the obscene language um, that is kind of used by women or about women in your work. Can you tell us a little bit about what you what you've actually found um, and what you're looking at at the moment? 
Well, this was something I really noticed as I was reading, um, that there are certain kinds of language that women use and certain kinds of language they don't use. The language that they do use is highly sexual language. If you read the opening of Lysistrata, uh, you've got incredibly colourful descriptions of sex, uh, of masturbation, and they have absolutely no qualms in using very, very sexualized, obscene language. What women don't use is scatological language. It's, it's almost absent in women's speech. So at the moment, I'm making databases. The current count is in terms of scatological language, so anything from shit to slightly more inventive terms. Uh, something like 79 usages in the 11 plays of, of direct scatological language rather than euphemism. Um, so that's, I think it comes up to an average of one every 300 lines or so. It's, it's very frequent. Only three or four, depending on how you count them, are actually in the mouths of women. Women will say incredibly obscene sexual things, but they don't say shit. They don't talk about anything to do with scatology, which is very interesting because scatological language is actually a very big part of the comic world, but it's one that women don't seem to have access to. But it's also something that's, uh, you know, that belongs to both genders, that maybe this hasn't occurred to people who are writing the plays. I think, yeah, it's, it's partly probably social. Um, the amount of sexual language of, of women is probably partly, at least, to do with the fact... Well, the amount of sexual language in comedy in general is the fact that it's tied to a fertility festival of Dionysus. You should remember that all the male characters on stage have a giant phallus prop. They are all on stage with massive, massive phalluses, comedy phalluses. How do you know that? They refer to is them. It, that's they just, refer it's to just them referred the and it's always, that's consistent. Yeah, and we have uh, vase paintings showing scenes from comedies and, and they all have. Uh, so the sexual language that women use, it's partly that we're in comedy and that's the kind of language that we use, but it's, it's also that this is women seen by a male gaze. They're not real women. These are male actors. They are written by male poets. They're viewed by a largely male, possibly wholly male, it's quite contentious, audience. So if you're viewing women through a male gaze, what do women equal? They equal sex. So what, what, like how, how is the masturbation portrayed? Is that uh, they're, Well, they're complaining that the men have gone off to war and that uh, these days, because of the trade embargoes, you can't even get a decent dildo anymore. Uh, and so they really have to do something about this Peloponnesian war business. Do you think, I don't know, are you doing similar kind of databases of modern texts or modern, it's not, it's not I, your interest? I only work on, on Because this. I wonder, I just feel like any, like films off the top of my head, kind of comedic films, would always have men making a lot more scatological mm. references than women. And I don't know if, you know, I think if you compared, you, you would see the same things mm. happening in modern texts or modern films. That's but I wonder. Yeah. But I also wonder how that compares to like, if you just did a you know a conversational database like of people just talking, what do you think it would be, and what do you think it would be then in the kind of the time period that you're looking at? Well, the, you know, I mean, the interesting thing is that we live in a world where scatology is rather absent, maybe not from our language, but from the world itself. They don't have proper sanitation. Um, they don't. They live in a world where actually scatology is, in a way, a lot less taboo than sex, um, especially you'd think, for women. 
uh, because women's sexuality is heavily policed in the Athenian city-state, really heavily policed. Um, but yeah, scatology, I mean, shit was everywhere. And so it's actually quite surprising uh, that in a world without proper sanitation, a world in which they are confronted with this kind of stuff mm. all the time, uh, and a world in which sex is so much more taboo for women that these characters talk about sex but not scatology. Um, when you say that sexuality was kind of, well, women's sexual, uh, sexuality was policed, what do you mean by that? So when I say women, what I really mean is respectable women, of course. Um, in Athens, you are, are only a citizen with citizen rights, democratic rights, property rights, if both your mother and your father are Athenian which means you really, really need to know who parents are. So Athenian girls of good family, um, they are married very young. They are kept inside the house as much as possible. And, I mean, obviously, poor women work. Poor women work everywhere. It's an economic necessity. But for a respectable middle-class Athenian woman, the idea is to have her pretty much closed up all the time so you can make absolutely certain that your children are Athenian. And if you look at tragedy, we've got huge anxiety about the idea of your wife cheating. Um, so certainly respectable women, uh, sexuality is very heavily policed. And do periods come up at all? Never. Our favourite Absolutely topic. not. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's, I don't think it's ever mentioned. In fact, outside of Greek medical texts, I wouldn't know where it would be mentioned. That's actually mm. very interesting. I might go and have to... Do a, do a search. Even in the, I can't remember what she was called, but the, the female one that you were mentioning earlier, Sappho. Sappho, no, Sappho really talks about uh, love. Sappho is mostly mm. um, a sort of a, a love poet, as, as she comes down to us today. We don't we don't have all of it. Mm. Maybe she's got the hidden menstruation text that, that's lost <laughs> that they're all after. Yeah. And in terms of kind of how this seems to play with genre, have you found a kind of link between this use of language between men and women being different and actual genres. So you mentioned about the difference between tragedy and comedy. How does that work? That's, I mean, that's a big question. And that's kind of the general question of, the, of this research. At the moment, I probably couldn't say for sure. It's all very much work in progress. My mm. instinct is that the reason that women don't use the full spread of comic language is that comedy at least within Aristophanes, conceptualises itself as a very masculine genre. Um, especially given that it is a genre characterised by the phallus and the very visual presence of the phallus on stage, which, of course, tragedy doesn't have. Aristophanes likes to play with that. Comedy, masculine, tragedy, girly, effeminate, written by girly, effeminate tragedians. My inclination is that that is the reason why women aren't given the full... Um, the full range of, of comic language. Um, but I, I suspect also that it's it's social as well. Uh, can I just ask, what was your number three top square? I think we only got number one. Ah, my, my number three is just in there for pure peculiarity. Um, Echokizdo, which literally means to squeeze the seeds out of a pomegranate. Uh, it's just um peculiar image. It's unfortunately actually quite a violent, nasty word. Um, but yeah, I just think it's um, inventive to say the least. How is it a swear word though? Um, it's used as euphemism for rape, uh, oh. pomegranate seeds. I was thinking like a spot, like that blackhead oh. on your face. No, I thought it was a, a wank term. But it's really, really hard to get the seeds out of a pomegranate. So yeah, I guess that's so right because you really have, you have to, to whack, whack it. it. It's really, really mm. horrible. 
Oh, that's yeah. horrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you have a, a number of sort of food stuffs used to, work, uh, to refer to female genitalia. Pomegranates, one. Myrtle berries are another big one. And, of course, figs. That's that's the obvious one. With the pomegranate one, maybe this is getting a bit graphic, but is it to, is that also possibly to do with the position that you're doing it from? Because it... Um, I don't know. It's 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 not used in. It's just used in passing, really. So, uh, and so, is there a lot of like making light of rape? Oh God, or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the the rape joke. Aristophanes invented the rape joke, or well, at least the ancient Greeks did. Um, this is not a nice world for women. Um, I mean, they don't have the same idea about rape that we do. Um, they have a word mochea, which means literally for a man to have sexual relations with somebody he's not entitled to have sexual relations with. Um, that can be an unmarried girl. That can be somebody else's wife. That you know, any anybody you're not supposed to be having sex with. There's no idea of consent. I mean, you can't commit mochea against a prostitute because you have every right. Uh, there's no real sense of consent. But threats of rape are used pretty comically against both men and women in, in Aristophanes. And in terms of how women are portrayed generally, I, we kind of spoke a little bit about. Um, of its heroides and this idea of you know the the male gaze to view women um but yeah at the time that seems quite transgressive and do do you get a sense that um in aristophanes this is how women were portrayed amongst other playwrights of the era era other writers or is there something kind of different about it the genre makes it different. I mean, in terms of the kind of levels of obscenity, of course, you can't have that outside of this comic comic genre. Um, women on stage are always very interesting because in both comedy and tragedy, we're looking at male actors. Aristophanes occasionally makes uh, quite good metatheatrical jokes that play on the fact that this is really a man, but he's a woman, but a man, but a woman. And sometimes we have a man who dresses up as a woman on stage um, in a way that seems almost quite Shakespearean. Um, women in Aristophanes are usually nymphomaniacs, but then that's if you're looking at women through a male gaze, women equal sex. They're always they're always drunk as well. Women really <laughs> like a good drink. Um, they'll do almost anything uh, for wine. Um, yeah, I mean there are there are certainly things that pop up in Aristophanes that are that are elsewhere as well but perhaps more exaggerated in Aristophanes just for the comic effect. Super grim. <laughs> We've all got faces right really now. But, yeah, I was going to say, but you obviously it's, do it's find it's very funny. funny. Yeah. It, you've got... So, so what are you laughing at? Um, not, not, not usually rape jokes. Yeah. There's also a lot of political comedy. Okay. A lot of very surreal comedy. Um, one of my favourite scenes in all of the plays is in Peace where somebody rides to heaven on a dung beetle. Um... It is funny, I promise it's funny. Um, he's very good on wordplay. He's very, very good on, on double meanings, triple meanings of Greek um, and how you kind of squeeze all these meanings together and, and play on that. Um, at the time then, how was it received? Like, was, was it kind of shocking? Like, was it kind of shock comedy? Or did people just think, like, that's just, I don't know, accept I, I, it as it was? I don't think it was particularly shocking, no. I mean, it's, it's within a context which is allowing this. It's, a lot of people talk about the City Dionysia, which is the dramatic festival, as being carnivalic. So you're looking at a, a kind of carnival genre in which everything is subverted, in which that which is disallowed is allowed temporarily, in which the low rise to the high... Particularly one of the things about 
politi- it's very political comedy, so you've, you make fun of your politicians in pretty ruthless ways. And bear in mind, your politicians are probably in the front row of the theatre watching this. So there, there's a licence, certainly, comic licence. I, I don't think it would be particularly shocking. And I get the sense that these things, because there was a... I mean, it's kind of easy to explain the Victorians, but you know, possibly like a sort of 19th century uh, way of looking at scholarship where the kind of ruder things were erased and it was very puritanical and, you know, yeah. all these like fake dildos and stuff were locked up in the British Museum. People weren't allowed to see them. Things got edited out and translated in quite a dry style. So it seems shocking to us now that actually the ancient world had this, um, you know, very graphic way of writing about things. But actually, that's what it was like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's everywhere. The, Athens is a place where you have um, booths on the street with prostitutes in. It's, it's sexist everywhere. Um, you know, it, it, it probably was much less shocking to them. Well, certainly was much less shocking to them than it was to the Victorians, who very much edited all this stuff out of their texts. So I think we're coming to the end of this week's show. Thank you so much, Naomi, for coming on. Um, really, really appreciate it. Thanks. And it's absolutely fascinating. It's something that I don't think, well, none of us are sort of classical experts. I am so, so shocked by what I've learned today. <laughs> 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 well, we we idolise the Greeks and Romans. We've always done that in Western civilization, But we need to remember that this is a pretty nasty place. Do you think, a tiny question, that we've become more conservative than, than they were? Because like, a lot of things you're saying we would find quite shocking, but you're saying it was quite commonplace. That's a great question. Ooh. Thanks. <laughs> um, in some ways, yes, because we're more attuned to things like sexism and racism. Um, I mean, racism is another thing that, that, that they're not particularly bothered by. Um, I think our values have shifted. I wouldn't say they're more conservative. I, I would say that it's more of a shift um, where... We're perhaps more squeamish about, say, rape, but less so about other things. Well, thank you so much for joining us. As usual, we are on Twitter, VLW Radio, and Facebook, Radio's Women Revamped. Um, big thanks to Naomi Scott, and also Esther, who is um, with us, Emma's mum. <laughs> um, but to play us out, we've got a song by Mortuba. Emma, what's the song called? I hope that we're going to play Mortuba, Rome Wasn't Burnt on a Day, but I'm not sure if that's possible. Because clearly we I- don't know the difference between ancient Rome and ancient Greece. <laughs> well, I wanted to put on Mesopotamia, but I was informed that, that was totally wrong time period location and all so what do I know <laughs> um, yeah hopefully that's going on now so thanks thanks for coming Naomi it's been great um, bye everyone bye bye, bye. bye. We'll fly away. don't you know this program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.